our Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they have for girls of my age. Today my guest is Vanessa Vallely, OBE, Managing Director of We Are The City. Vanessa launched the award-winning WeAreTheCity.com in 2008 as a vehicle to help women progress in their careers. WeAreTheCity.com now has over 120,000 members. That is incredible. Well, thanks for joining me today, Vanessa. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Well, first of all, Grace, thank you for having me. Um, So my career started at the age of 16. So I didn't go to college or university. I grew up in the East End of London in fairly challenging circumstances from mostly kind of from an economic standpoint. So there was just me and my mum and she kind of had to do lots of different jobs to make ends meet. So my big ambition was to finish school and go and get a job because obviously two incomes in a household to pay the bills is better than one. So I left school at 16, um, I didn't go to college or university, and I headed into the world of work. So I went up to the city of London, which is kind of the financial district where all the banks are, and I tried to get a job there. And for me, it was was generally always a no, and it was a no for a number of reasons. um, Firstly, my academic records. The last kind of two years at school, I kind of checked out a little bit. I didn't put the effort in that I should have. I become quite distracted by other things that were going on. Um, And it was only when talking to one of my careers officers that they said, you know, these big dreams that you've got, Vanessa, you'll never achieve them without a level of education that kind of made me think that, you know, they were right. And so in the last year of school, I really got my head down and and, and it enabled me to leave with a few GCSEs, nothing particularly to write home about, but if I'd have put that effort in a few years before, who knows what I could have achieved? Because I was very bright, but I was just a bit disruptive. Um, so I managed to get a job in a bank. Um, that first job didn't work out too well. And I think it had a lot to do with my attitude, um, if I'm honest. Um, so, But I went on to work for nine different banks over the next 25 years to a very senior level, working all over the world big teams of people, big responsibilities. So it does go to show you that, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, it's where you're going that's important, that you have to have an element of resilience because sometimes things don't always go your way, but that your passion is the most important thing. So your ability to drive yourself when things go wrong, but also to know that the buck stops with you, right? And Because if you want something in life, you have to work for it. And that requires a little bit of effort. And no one else can do that for you. It's down to you to do it. Yeah. Well, when you were at school, did you know what you wanted to do in the future? Or did that happen maybe more later in life? I think initially in school, I went through loads of things. I knew I wanted to be in some sort of job that made a difference to people. So I remember I wanted to be a policewoman at one point. I wanted to go and work in the Royal Navy. Um, you know, I had all of these, these, so it was always to do with people, but where I lived in the East End of London, I, we used to live in a high rise block. So like a tower block, they were called in my day. 
And I lived on the 18th floor and, and from that bedroom window, I could see into the city of London and I could see the tallest building, which was a bank uh, called NatWest. So that was a kind of visionary thing for me, that that financial district where they made all the money and you've got money brokers and traders, you know, and their all their fancy things that they could buy with their big salaries. That kind of inspired me to go and work in finance. But originally, you know, I, I had so many different things. I wanted to be an accountant at one point. I realise now that definitely wouldn't have worked for me. Um, but I think very much with, with girls at your age and anyone who's listening to this, it's really hard to answer that question because you've not seen enough of the world to or seen enough, had enough insight into what jobs look like. So, for example, I'm always trying to encourage more girls into technology roles. We have a really severe shortage of girls in tech or women yeah. in tech. And that stems from your generation. And, you know, and it's hard because people think working in technology is sitting behind a computer writing code. And it isn't. You know, it's for if you're interested in art, you have digital design. If you're interested in, you know, um, working with people, you know, you have you could go into communications, project management. You know, there's so many different roles in technology, but you guys won't get to see them yet. Uh, yeah. You just got to trust me that they're there. And, and it's a fantastic, you know, the fact that you can solve big world problems, you know, with technology is incredible, like the future of our planet and things like that. So it doesn't have to be, I'm just going to sit down and code, and that sounds really boring. Yeah, of course. Well, I know that you went to the university in Chicago, but how important do you think it actually is to go to university? So I didn't go to, I didn't go to Chicago. I went to the University of Chicago Booth, which is a business school. So that, and the reason I went there is for many, many years, the fact that I didn't go to university, I thought it was really important that I should have gone. So I carried this kind of thought in the back of my mind for a long time that I was worth slightly less than other people because I didn't have their background or I didn't necessarily have their educational opportunities. So I went back to business school when I was 38 um, as a way of continuing my education, but also kind of ticking a box for myself, I think. Could I do that? Could I survive in that environment? Do I think it's important that you go to university? I think your education is exceptionally important. Does that have to end at university? I don't believe so. I mean, both of my children, uh, one of my children's just finished university and the other one's in her second year. I think it's, I think there are so many different pathways that you can take now to achieve what it is that you want to achieve. So, for example, you may be really interested in setting up your own business and I would encourage anyone of your age to, even if it's making something and creating a little website or making something and selling it on Etsy, you know, or something like that. I think that's such good skills for you to understand how the world of business works and the fact that you sell something and you put a markup on it and you make a bit of a profit. That's not a bad thing to learn, even at your age. Um, so I think the education is fine. Um, as I say, absolutely, 100%, get your education, get the, uh, definitely, you know, uh, finish school and then if you can do your A-levels. But for some people, that's not possible. So... You may want to get, as I say, look into entrepreneurship. You may want to, you know, there's great websites like Not Going to Uni that talks about all the other things that you can do. You may want to do an apprenticeship scheme whereby you learn on the job, but you also get paid for doing so. So for people that have less, you know, that don't have the financial means to be able to continue education that way, there are so many different pathways that you can take. And it doesn't all 
kind of end with you guys going to university. If you can do it, fabulous. I encourage you to do it. But if not, it doesn't mean it's not the end of the world. Well, I know that you are the pearly queen of the city of London. Um, Tell me more about that and the tradition behind it. Okay, so um, so it's a bit random when you think that I was a banker and, you know, I now run We Are The City and, the, and all of a sudden I'm a pearly queen as well. So the pearly queen, kings and queens, was started in 1874, oh, sorry, 1875, by a young boy um, by the name of Henry Croft. He probably was your age. Um, and he was an orphan and um, at Bernardo's, which was, you know, like um, a children's home back in the day. Bernardo's was a big charity now. And he used to hang around the markets that were in London, because obviously there's no Tesco's and things like that back in those days. We had big markets like Smithfield, which is still there, like meat markets, vegetable markets, flower markets. And people would go to all of these different markets to buy whatever they needed and their food and stuff. So Henry Croft was a rat catcher in those markets. And also in those markets, if you imagine the vegetable markets, the fruit and veg. Uh, the Costa Mongers, so you may have heard of Costa Apples, the Costa Mongers used to sew penny-sized pearl buttons on the, the lapels of their sleeves and on the sides of their trousers to show them as a Costa Monger. And Henry Croft thought that was a really good way, a good way of standing out. So he decided to make a, a suit full of buttons. And his job within the market was to raise money for charity. So to raise money for Costa Mongers that perhaps couldn't work but still had to feed their families. So he was a charity worker within that market, raising money for Bernardo's and these costermongers. And eventually every kind of market wanted a, a Henry Croft. So what he did, um, he made a pearly king and queen of the 28 different boroughs of London. So and somehow down the line in the early 1900s or mid kind of few years on, about 1920 odd, my granddad was made a pearly king um, of the city of London and his brother was made a pearly king of Westminster. So their job was to raise money for charity within that borough. So the city of London is a square mile, but a very important square mile. And then through the generations, when my grandfather passed away, that title went to my dad. Um, I was the pearly queen of, I was originally the pearly princess of Hoxton. Um, and then I become the pearly queen of Hoxton. And now I'm pearly queen city of London, because my dad is a bit too old to put on his buttons. But there are many different families of pearly kings and queens across London. We all look after our boroughs. There's some traditions around pearly kings and queens. If you Google them, you'll see our buttons, uh, our suits are smothered in buttons, and we wear these beautiful hats with big white ostrich feathers. But we have to make the suits ourselves. If you are lucky enough to watch the London opening ceremony of the Olympics back in 2012, um, some of you may have been very, very young then, but you may have seen it since. Um, there is a family of pearly kings and queens that are walking around the opening ceremony of the Olympics. And that's all of my family. So when I'm asked to, um, I put on my pearly button suit and my hat and I go off and I raise money for charity for places like Bart's, Maggie's, um, which is a centre for cancer in um, Bart's Hospital. So anywhere I can. But my daughters are also pearly queens and king and princesses. Um, but they're a little bit too cool to wear their buttons at the moment. So, But one day they'll come back to it like I did. Yeah. Well, what do you do being a pearly queen, doing all of the business and charity work that you do must be kind of stressful sometimes. But do you have any hobbies that really help you to relax outside of work? 
Yeah, absolutely. I have lots of hobbies. I mean, I'm very busy as a person, but it's really important that you find time to do things that you love outside of being busy with work or you know whatever it is that you're doing. So I love flowers. Um, I so I love my garden. Um, I spend a lot of time planting flowers and designing beds, but I also play around with artificial flowers. So as a hobby, um, I do those big balloon arches that you get at parties. I do big floral displays. It's just a way of me being creative, you know, and um, I also like to do boxing. So I do, I box about four times a week, which keeps me fit because obviously it's important to remain fit and healthy. And I have three dogs and they are the loves of my life other than my children. So I have three French bulldogs. So they're another kind of hobby of mine. Um, And I've been told I must not get a fourth dog. So I suppose I should um, take notice of that one. But they're, they're, they're the main hobbies. Yeah. Well, obviously, we have all been hit by COVID, with things just beginning to feel kind of normal again. But how have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues, both personally and professionally? So I think personally, initially, when you're a parent, you know, having two teenage daughters, I quite liked the fact that they were indoors and I knew where they was, so I could keep their eye on them. And, and that whole sense of family eating together, coming together, we was all in it together. So I didn't really struggle that much mentally during lockdown. I quite liked being in a safe space. I kind of understood that we were all going through it as a nation, as a world, as a, you know. So, you know, I was, it was painful to watch, obviously, people losing their lives and things like that. But generally, I wasn't too bad. It was quite frightening from a business perspective because obviously my line of work is we get people together and we hold big events and we weren't allowed to do that anymore so we had to find other ways of keeping our business alive which is why we switched to virtual so we've done big virtual conferences for women in tech with thousands of women from all over the world we've done a series of webinars every week to keep people engaged everything from managing your sleep because people were stressed you know how to make your finances stretch a little bit more you know we've done all sorts of different webinars and obviously career-based as well and they're still going on by the way they're completely free they're on our website on wearethecity.com so keeping the business alive was 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 scary um you know as much as my mental health was okay you know people around me were really struggling so even my own children you know they're used to being out with their friends and partying all of a sudden they're stuck in with their parents which was a bit of a challenge for them um, and also not seeing our parents. I mean, we was in a bubble, so we was able to kind of see our parents to a certain degree. But we had a number of people that had to shield in our family as well. So you're quite right. We are coming back to an element of normal. I think the world has changed for the better in some ways. For example, you know, the world of work was very much around presenteeism. So, you know, people would go in and they would work from nine to five and everyone would get on the train in the morning, even when it was raining and it was miserable. And now we're we're seeing this hybrid revolution where people can work from home. And and it's lovely because we get to spend more time with our families. We don't have that commute and we're all still getting stuff done. So I think in that respect, the world is is a slightly better place in terms of the world of work. Yeah. Well, as part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we try to look at both tech and STEM opportunities. But how how much progress do you think as a society we have made in getting girls to think about tech as a career 
And are there any more opportunities now for girls of my age than there were a couple of years ago? 100%. So I think in, in terms of your first question, my honest opinion is that I think the school, the school curriculum could be slightly better than what it is mm. um, in terms of enticing and encouraging girls into STEM. Um, I do a lot of visits into schools to talk about my career in technology to try and paint a different picture. Um, so I think so the school's curriculum could do with work. However, there are so many opportunities for young female technologists to learn, you know, whether it's coding clubs, whether it's getting to tech. You know, there's a wonderful organisation called Tech She Can, which has written uh, lesson plans for schools to download about you know, tech in aviation, for example, or tech in retail, um, because every single business has got technology behind it. That's the key thing. Some of the businesses we think were media companies are actually, they're actually technology companies, you know, because they've all pivoted online and they're all digital. So I think it's a really exciting time for young girls to get into STEM careers. I would encourage anyone listening to pursue technology, science, maths, you know, if that's your thing. Uh, definitely pursue that because to give you an example if we go back on the tech side if we keep having products and services and everything designed by men there is an element of bias that they're building these products and systems for men so that that bias creeps in and what do you know that those products and services don't always meet the needs of women so sometimes what you need is you make, make sure that you have a mix of diverse voices in the room and different genders that can give different perspectives of whether, oh, would that actually work for us? You know, so there's a fantastic book by a lady called Caroline Corrado Perez, and the title just popped out of my head, but it'll come to me in a second. Um, and it talks about how certain things were made with men's design. So, for example, a defibrillator, which is how you, what you use when you revive somebody, is based on male vital signs. A crash test dummy that they use to test, you know, the impact if, of, of a car in an accident, that crash test dummy is based on the male form, not women. So yeah. how do we, you know, how do we get more women in the room? Because if there was a woman in the room and that was being designed, she might say, hold on a minute, women are our bodies are different so what does that mean what impact will that be for us in that accident or how will we do we stand the same rate a chance of survival being you know um having uh, being revived by a system that was designed on men's vital signs and that's just just one of many you know spacesuits are designed for men you know so it's really important that we have women in the room and that those women won't get in the room if, if it's not girls like you that start to to see how fantastic technolo technology and STEM is as, is a, as a career. Yeah, of course. But I have to ask, how did you feel when you found out that you had been awarded an OBE? And have you met the Queen? I met Prince Charles. I was absolutely gobsmacked. Um, so I, say I had a 25-year career in banking. I started We Are The City, which is a website that helps women to access resources to drive their own careers forward. Um, seven years um, into off the side of my desk while I was still doing my job. So I'd done quite a lot in the women's space, and that, that was kind of what the OBE was for. So it was for services to the economy and to women. Um, I've since gone on. I've used it as a platform to do more. But, yes, as a girl that grew up where I grew up, 
you know, going to Buckingham Palace with my mum and my dad and my daughters was very, very special. And Buckingham Palace is beautiful. And Prince Charles is a wonderful man as well. So, yeah, it was very, very special. An amazing day. Definitely. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Vanessa. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own careers. Absolutely. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as they talk to many more brilliant women. And thank you to our sponsors, Barclays Bank, Levi Strauss, Sage PLC, Haynes Watts and Ideal Standard.